Hello, Two Principles podcast listeners. We are so grateful for all the support and appreciate you checking in with us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love for you to follow, subscribe, and rate review our podcast. You can also follow us on all of our social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube at Two Principles. Check us out on the web at twoprinciples.com. We are so grateful for our Two Principles podcast partners, HealthWise Behavioral Health and Wellness. As a team of experienced licensed psychologists, clinical therapists, medical professionals, and mind-body practitioners, HealthWise offers a wide range of mental health services for individuals of all ages. HealthWise is grounded in a philosophy that considers the whole person. We are excited to record our Two Principles podcast from the beautiful HealthWise Yoga and Wellness Studio located right here in Maple Grove, Minnesota. We want to thank Green Boy Brand for helping us design our Two Principles artwork and logo. They can help you customize your brand. If you're looking for an artwork design or logo or some cool merchandise, check them out at greenboybrand.com. They have done work for schools, businesses, sports organizations, and everything in between. When you go with Green Boy, you're choosing to get a personal touch rather than a cookie-cutter look. Welcome to the Two Principles Podcast, where we help you get out of your head and into your heart. The Two Principles Podcast, life and leadership talk inside and out. A better you makes for a better today. It starts with you. I'm Becky Paris, and I'm hanging out with the Two Principles. The only thing you don't want to do, there's a side button right on here, up mm-hmm. here. If you push that in, it mutes, and then you won't hear. So don't touch anything around here. You can... Is there any button to mute yours? (laughs) (laughs) I can do that. Um, First of all, I appreciate you making the coffee this morning. (laughs) I can't tell you how much I'm going to enjoy this. (laughs) So thank you for making the coffee this morning, honey. We should probably tone it down to our normal, because this could really get... (laughs) But typically, like who 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 makes who, typically who makes the coffee in the family? I feel like you ask these questions to get your own accolades. Like you you roll out the carpet there. for yourself. Like who <laughs> makes the coffee? Well, today I really appreciated you making the coffee this morning. So I think okay. I'm gonna sit back. I'm gonna <laughs> mute my mic and I am just gonna listen. <laughs> uh, but thank you for how, like. I, but just but listeners don't know how like how many cups of coffee do you typically drink during your day? I try to stick to two. Two cups just of coffee. Just two small yeah. cups of coffee, yeah. All right. And you try to keep me to how, how many? Six to eight. <laughs> 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 oh, that's good. That's really good. Um, are you, uh, how do you feel being in your studio here? Are you, uh, it feels good. This yeah. is such a happy place. I love being here. I mean, it's really, that's why I like working here. This is a second home. You know, I really yeah. come in and hunker down sometimes and just bring my lunch, bring my dinner, We read books, you know, sit here in between clients or whatever. It's really, I enjoy it here. You, nice just, you just mentioned though that <clears throat> you're usually the one asking questions. So you're feeling a little, yeah. little angst. Yeah. A, a lot of <laughs> angst. Yeah. I'm not used to being the one that's going to be asked the questions. Yeah. I'm used to discovering or being curious about other people or asking the questions. So well, I know Kevin yeah. and I are excited because you, well, we've been trying to get you on the show for months now, but your schedule is so gosh dang busy, we can't get you on. And so we wanted to have early on, but you're so busy. But we're excited to learn from you today. And I hope the listeners are too, because you, you've you got some really 
I think, very impactful, important information that can really help people. So we're excited about that. So thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited for you guys. I mean, it's been really fun to watch you two work. I mean, you have a very driven just persona. I mean, when you set to do something, it's pretty incredible. So just to see where you guys have taken this and just all the conversations and the people and um, it's it's fun. It's really fun. Cool. Kev, you good over there, buddy? I'm good. Hey, I'm ready. Let's, uh, let's, let's go spread some good out of that podcast universe. Hey, it's that time. Hello and welcome to today's show. As always, super excited to be here today with my good friend, Kevin. We are extremely excited to have my wife, my best friend, Becky Paris in the studio today. I'm Jason Paris. I'm Kevin Jost. And we are the Two Principles, the Two Principles podcast, where we focus on leadership, work-life balance, stress management, and mental health. Our goal is to equip everyday people with practical tools to maintain their overall health and live out a more balanced and fulfilling life. Thanks for tuning in today as we continue on this journey towards a healthier and happier you, one step at a time, one conversation at a time. Just as with every episode, we will stay true to the two principles' purpose. We will consider the impact of our words and actions. We will be in the moment. We will stay present. We're going to give it our best today, and of course, we're going to try to have some fun. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. I will tell you, Kevin, I told you this before the show, I'm actually nervous for this interview because it's my wife. I would be too. Yeah, so <laughs> I have no idea. She could say stuff about me today to the listeners that nobody's ever heard me say. what I'm hoping. It's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> Remember what I told you, pal? Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, but it's it's time for the mailbag uh, question. Kevin, I only had one question coming today. I, I guess we've been doing this now for a few weeks, but it's... Um, What's our, what would be, what would be like our like walk-up song or what would be your walk-up song that you'd want to get introduced to? Oh gosh. Um, I honestly didn't know you were going to ask me that. I know, but um, I, just, I just saw that question <laughs> coming this morning. So uh, I, I, again, I appreciate the, the listeners emailing us. Jeez. Maybe, uh, um, we will rock you. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I don't will, know. Some old stuff. Some queen there. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. We will rock you. Yeah. You know, for me, I think what what I love is, uh, and I would love to be able to use this as just our intro to our show, but it's Aerosmith Sweet Emotion. Oh, yeah. Sweet yeah. Emotion. Email them. Yeah. <laughs> you mean <laughs> email Stephen Tyler yeah. and their lawyers and see if we can use yep. uh, Sweet Emotion as our intro. But that was a question. Again, if you have any questions for Kevin or myself, uh, as always, two principles podcast at gmail.com. And again, we appreciate any questions or thoughts or comments on our show, just send us an email. I appreciate that. Becky, do you have any, how about this? Do you have any questions for the two principals here? What's, what's a question for us? Hmm, I actually, I mean, I think a great question to ask for you guys. I mean, you've been on this journey. Like there's a reason that you're doing this and you've interviewed some really interesting people. I've I've gotten a lot out of it. I've learned some things about myself. But my question is just you two. I mean, you're on this journey. What are you learning about yourself? What do you not? <laughs> what have you become aware of about yourself? Oh, my gosh. Um, that would be a whole episode. Um, <laughs> I, a ton. I mean, I'm literally walking away every time we sit down with somebody, discovering something about myself that I need to work on. Um I'm trying to think specifically. Um, I mean, it's just, it's all over the board. Um, I have a lot of regret 
in my life that I've come to realize um, from earlier in my life uh, that I need to kind of let go. And I think a lot of that has actually uh, shaped who I am. And uh, that's that's one of the things that's come up in the last couple months is I didn't realize how much regret I was actually holding on to hmm. about some things. That's very powerful. Yeah. Wow, that's good. I, yeah, I would say for me, what I, I guess what I've learned maybe about myself doing this is... Um, a, it's exciting. There's passion behind it, but it's a lot of work. And mm-hmm. uh, I didn't realize the amount of work that actually goes into this. And I think, I know for me, I always set these high goals, these high expectations, which I've always done. Um, but I've also learned to myself that I'm really hard on myself. Mm. I really beat myself up. And when you go through things and you think, you you're hoping to hit something or get something and then it doesn't happen. I beat myself up. And so I've, and, and our guests, we've had a lot of amazing guests talk to us about that, that self-compassion piece. And I think actually, no, Becky will probably hit on that today, but this whole self-compassion piece about really, you know, taking care of yourself and not, not being so critical of yourself. So that's mm-hmm. what I've learned. So to answer your questions, I, I would that be acceptable answers for the two principles? I love how you're asking if that's acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, that's awesome. Well, hey, let's introduce Becky Paris. Kevin, let's uh, let's introduce her here. Let's do it. <clears throat> we are, like Jason said, excited to have Becky Paris on the show today. Becky believes in the innate ability for all people to grow and heal through a compassionate relationship and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. She supports clients in reaching their wellness goals. Non-judgment and self-compassion are key elements to her therapeutic style. In addition to supporting clients with issues such as depression, anxiety, trauma, and relationship issues, Becky has supported schools and professionals regarding stress management. She's collaborated on a research project for the University of Minnesota on teacher stress reduction, Working with individuals to manage stress and find new ways to approach their lives is a special interest of Becky's. As always, it is great to learn from other leaders in the field of mental health and wellness. So we want to thank Becky for taking your time out of your schedule and kind of coming back home, so to Mm -hmm. speak, and sitting down with uh, Jason and myself today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm really excited to talk. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for yeah. you too, Tag. And are you okay that I'm sitting in your chair, by the way? I do. I think this <laughs> is a real, permission. maybe we should switch it around. Roll reversal I think you here. did that on purpose, by the yeah, way. Yeah, roll reversal. <laughs> hey, but before we get started, you know, one of the things we've been doing is we've been doing like an intro song. So what's a song that, you know, we could like intro you, it'd be your walk-up song into the two principles. What would that be? Wow, that's a, it's actually a pretty easy one. I mean, I love music, really eclectic, but one that hits like a walk-up song is a one that since 1993 has been sort of that go-to, you know, we played it on the volleyball court at Edison. I mean, it's Pat Benatar, hit me with your bath <laughs> shot. Okay, here we go, <laughs> Becky. There we go. Welcome to the Two Principles Podcast. Hit me with your best shot, Pat Benatar. I think Kevin and I have some, uh, this song too was back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, this was on our high school football highlight reel film. We played this in the locker room too. Yeah, yeah it's we, a good we, song. We had, yeah, this was 
Put up your nukes. Let's get down to it. That's what we're going to do. Put up your nukes. Let's go. <laughs> well, here we go. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for taking part in that. And as you know, we have a random question of the show, and that's part of kind of what we've been doing here. But uh, last episode's uh, question was, would you rather use a pen or a pencil? So really quick, what, what are you, more pen or pencil? I think you know this one about me. It's so easy. It's It's pen, and it's... It's definitely a specific pen. It's the <laughs> Sharpie ballpoint pen. And this is, a, I mean, you're, you're kind of hitting your trigger point here for me with these pens because you know, you know I buy all she of these She buys pens. a lot of these pens and then they disappear. And they disappear. So if you go over and look at my purse right now, I have about four of them. I stash <laughs> them in there and I keep them because I think you take them to work. No, Honestly, no, really no, do. no. I'm going to blame the kids on this one. So when the kids, I think they take the pens. I don't think I have anything to do with taking those pens. I like to keep things, you know, back in the drawer. So, but yeah, so I, th- I think the kids, are, so if the kids are listening, I'm going to throw them, throw them <laughs> under the bus. Right they probably now. pack a bag and take them to college yeah, or something and save some money. So you're a pen, I know, and I knew that. So about this week's question though, um, would you rather be really cold or really hot? Wow. We have to ask, or we have to answer. I mean, really yeah. hold, cold or really hot. Um. I mean, just off of life experience, I would pick really hot, right? Because I have some really good life experience, like hot yoga. Yeah. I mean, thought I wouldn't like it, thought it would be miserable. You talked me into it. And (laughs) (laughs) I really, it's intense, but wow, it's a great experience. And, you know, being on the beach, it's 100 Mm. degrees. Mm -hmm. I guess I don't have any really great, you know, freezing cold experiences (laughs) in life. So yeah, that, hey, that's really good. But so hey, Kevin, how about you? What, what would you be rather, cold or hot? I go cold. Yeah, <clears throat> yep. yeah. I do not like. Um, I can take you know short stints of being being really really warm. But uh, in fact, I was just telling Kareen uh, uh, this morning. I'm like, I don't. I I, I wouldn't want to live in Florida. That that I couldn't do that. Yeah, too hot. Yeah, too hot. All right. So <clears throat> here's what I found. According to various surveys and studies, people generally prefer to be warm. This is likely because being too cold can be uncomfortable. It causes shivering, numbness, and other physical discomforts. By contrast, being too hot can be unpleasant too, but people can typically manage this discomfort by some extent by changing their clothing, seeking shade, or staying hydrated, or going into Air conditioning, ultimately, whether people prefer cold or hot temperatures depends on their individual preferences and experiences. Now, there have been several polls and surveys conducted on this question of whether people would prefer to be cold or hot. One such poll was conducted by YouGov in the United States in 2017, which found that 43% of adults preferred hot weather, while 29% preferred cold weather. Another poll by The same company in UK in 2019 found that 56% of the respondents preferred warmer weather while 29% preferred cooler weather. Another poll conducted by uh, the website SurveyMonkey in the United States in 2019 found that 60% of respondents preferred warmer temperatures while 40% preferred cooler temperatures. Overall, it seems that more people tend to prefer warmer weather than colder weather, but there are still many individuals who prefer the opposite. So again, a little fun fact there. Thanks for participating in the random question of the show. You prefer hot. That's good to know. Kevin is cold. I would lean towards hot as well. I think you, 
I think we've had some experiences where I've taken us down into uh, southern Arizona on the border there and taken us through with the kids. And I thought the kids were going to kill me at one point. Yuma, Arizona. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. It was about 117. <laughs> and the kids were they're like, Dad, we're not getting out of the car. I'm like, no, we're getting out of the car here. <laughs> I remember we were on a trip, family trip. Uh, every year we'd hop in the van and, and I'm the youngest of four. And We'd go all over the the country, and this particular uh, trip, we were in Florida, and the AC broke in the car, and I'll never forget the story. We tell it all the time, real quick. We stopped for lunch, but all the kids wanted a different fast food, (laughs) and so, you know, I wanted Hardee's, and somebody wanted Burger King, and and, and my dad was so crabby, and, (laughs) and there happened to be, like, they were all, like, right on this intersection, so we went to each um, restaurant. And then he just wanted a cone. He just he 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 wanted an ice cream cone from Dairy Queen. I think it was Dairy Queen. It might have been McDonald's. I can't remember. But he, I mean, it was 110 degrees. It was just miserable. And so he goes in by himself to get his ice cream cone, and he walks back out, and we're all in the van waiting. And as he's getting in the van, he he drops the ice cream cone right on the right on the asphalt. And oh my god, it was yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a story we talk about all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. Hey, let's get into some questions here now with uh, Becky. and uh, Let's do it. Let's go. All right. So obviously, Jason, you're going to have privy, inf- you're going to be privy to all this information, but but for me, this is all new. So um, let's just start out with a nice, easy one. Uh, tell us about yourself, your background, where'd you grow up, where'd you go to school, um, and how did you end up getting into the profession that you are in? Where does it start? I guess, you know, beginning back where I grew up, I grew up in North Minneapolis, um, lived my entire life there until I went away to college, um, graduated from Edison High School in Northeast Minneapolis, go Tommies, <laughs> you know, love, still love, you know, Northeast Minneapolis. Um, just uh, after that, went away to college. I started out St. Cloud State, went there for a year, um, Have it a, had a really pivotal sort of experience that changed the trajectory of probably my entire life. Um, I was in a significant car accident up there Hmm. um, and it really changed, you know, the plans. It kind of took the control out of my hands at that point. I was, you know, physically injured. I had a head injury, um, pretty, pretty severe concussion. Um, Had to be out of school for a while. Had to move home. Um, kind of rehabilitate, get ready back, get myself ready for school again. And I transferred to the U at that point. Um, went on to graduate with retail merchandising. Uh, started my career as a product manager. Um, remember those days? I Jason? do remember those <laughs> days, yep. Um, was traveling quite a bit, uh, working in the corporate world in you know, products and design, sort of a whole different world. I really enjoyed it. I mean, there was a lot of great experience there. Um, Learned a lot about myself, but realized I want to work with people. Um, I want to really get into the helping profession in some way. My husband was an educator. I wanted to work in mental health. That just collaborated to school counseling. It just made sense at the time. Um... Went and got my master's in school counseling. Um, we were married at the time. Um, got pregnant, was, you know, having, we had Blake when I was graduating. 
um, sort of worked for a little bit as a school counselor. And when we had Mackenzie, I decided, um, well, we decided, mm-hmm. you know, collectively that I would stay at home. So for several years, I was a stay-at-home mom. And again, whole different arena, whole different world that really taught me a lot about myself. It really had me dig into who I am when I was doing in life, my priorities with the family, with you, with the kids. It was Mm -hmm. just a really incredible time, you know, of our lives, I think, building our Mm -hmm. family. I went on then to get back in education, worked as a school counselor. Um, I, for a while, I've also worked in special ed as a para, um, really enjoyed all of those roles. Um, Then I kind of really got to the point of burnout, you know, to be real. I was juggling family life, um, working as a school counselor. I think the caseload at the time was 1,100 students. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, you know, it's not, it wasn't, the burnout wasn't about the kids or the families or the other, you know, the other educators or any part of that. The burnout is collectively just the overwhelm, you know, in the system. It is just, it was intense. For me just to be real and I did a lot to manage my stress I did a lot of I was doing mindfulness practice I was working on you know projects with teacher stress reduction and systemic issues um, trying to advocate for change um, and to be real I just reached this point kind of like Marissa when you had Marissa and she mm-hmm. was talking about you know sometimes you just reach this point where you make this decision to remove yourself from the situation that is causing that internal, you know, stress response. And I know that's not easy for us to make. It wasn't easy for you and I to make, you know, at that point, mm-hmm. but for us and for me and for my well-being, I wanted to just hone in on this mission of supporting others with their mental health and just do it in a different way. So I still work with students, you know, I have 16 mm-hmm. plus love it. Now I'm a mental health, you know, therapist. Um, it's just a whole different role, but still doing my why, still doing my passion. So, um, yeah, and you've got your own practice. I have my own practice. So I work here at HealthWise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible. I love what Kristen's done here. I love her mission. It just it just coordinates with who I am as a provider. Um, <clears throat> it helps me do the things that I really have always wanted to do. Um, it's really advocate for mental health and just be present with other people as a mental health therapist as they're on their journey. So I, I enjoy it. Um, it's been a new world. I've been in it three years now. Um, it was perfect timing. I think all of those other things grew me to this point. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that you do in life that isn't going to teach you something about who you are or where you're going. And I think you've got that unique perspective. I said you started out in the corporate world, um, went back to become a school counselor, um, obviously took some time off to stay at home and, you know, take on that role. And then obviously deciding that you wanted to be a, even your own practice and, and mental health therapy and all that stuff. So you talked a little bit about that burnout. We're going to get back to that. Um, cause I, I really want to hone in on that because Kevin and I, we have lots of conversations about this and obviously we work in the schools and we work with people, but I want to come back to that. So hopefully we can do that, but just could you maybe just tell us about your experience with being a mindfulness-based cognitive therapist? Okay, because there's people that are like, what is a mindfulness-based cognitive therapist? What is that? What do they do? And maybe how does that relate 
to your journey, right? To, to where you are today. Well, I think it has a lot to do with just who I am as an individual. I just, at the core, you know, my practice, I believe you have to sort of practice what you preach. You know, I think that with mindfulness, <clears throat> excuse me, with mindfulness, there's just this component of you have to experience it and kind of walk it to really be able to teach it. And so it's really rewarding, you know, to sort of practice this in my life, but also witness, you know, the practice of others, just witness them being more attuned to their inner world. Um, but you can't really mirror that or hold space for people in that unless you are sort of practicing it, you know what mm -hmm. it is. So I know we're going to get further into what is mindfulness practice. Um, but in a nutshell, you know, it's, it's something that I've learned over time. I learned, what is this practice? I read books. I dove into mindfulness meditation. I learned my own thoughts. I kind of grew my own awareness and what is present moment awareness? What are all of these things? I sort of walked them for many years. And then when I became a mental health therapist, I realized, wow, this pairs really well with talk therapy. I mean, there's this whole component of the mind and the body that are just one. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness-based practice gives you some real tools to incorporate the body into talk therapy, incorporate mindfulness practice into what you're doing. It's not per se that, oh, this is exactly what I do with every client. It's sort of woven into my practice. It's woven into my life as an individual. It's woven into sort of what I teach or what I help support clients in addressing symptoms of depression, symptoms of anxiety, sort of getting attuned to their life, really getting in touch with that in intuition of what they need in their life. It's all sort of a practice that supports those things. Kevin, do you want to just hit on the, the this next question? We'll yeah. get a little deeper into this now. I think I'm this trying to take time. all this in um, as, she's, as she's talking about this, but talk to me about the connection with mindfulness and, and um, you know, stress management, the mind-body connection. Um, how, how is that linked? Can I, and this is before, yeah, that's a, but I want to, there is, a, I believe right now, and, and Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong here, but people hear the word mindfulness and I, my belief is it became quickly a buzzword. And everybody mm -hmm. was just saying mindfulness, 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 mindfulness. Oh, he's talking about mindfulness. She's talking about mindfulness. Ah, whatever. But because there is a lot of stuff out on this topic, I, I know how it's benefited me personally, right? But I think there's a lot of people that still think, oh, it's just a buzzword. So maybe go a little bit deeper about mindfulness. And then to Kevin's question, which I love, is that stress management and then that whole mind-body connection. So I guess, <clears throat> I mean, to really teach mindfulness takes quite a, quite a while. I mean, it's sort of this process. I mean, there's a, there's a layered process to just understanding the practice. But I think starting with the word practice is probably the best way that I can sort of get a real, you know, nuts and bolts of what it is. You're right. It's kind of been this buzzword, you know, people think, well, I'm mindful, so I'm going to go out in my world and, <laughs> or I'm going to pay attention, you know, I'm not going to think the way I think, you know, it's sort of collectively just been this thing that people kind of hear and kind of move away from because they don't really know how to dig in to the nuts and bolts of how to apply it to their life. So 
I'll try to use as many real life experiences to help to help understand what it is. But when you say it's a practice, um, it's sort of a practice for your awareness and for your brain and your central nervous system to exercise the capacity to to understand what's going on internally and to regulate that. Um, so the simplest way that I think John Kabat-Zinn, he's kind of the one of the forerunners of mindfulness-based practice, is paying attention on purpose in the present moment. And it's a practice. So this is, it, it sounds so simple, and it sounds like something, well, I pay attention, I yeah. do this, and I, it is... It's really intentional. And I, I'm going to give you an example from Heidi, who spoke with you earlier, yep. you know, Heidi Kopachik. She talked about her coffee. You know, mm -hmm. she said her daily mindfulness <laughs> practice is to pay attention on purpose in the present moment to her coffee every day. So for those moments that she's drinking her coffee, she is not thinking about her work day and maybe that pops up, but she's, she's being with her coffee. And people will say, well, I can't, oh, well, that's, what's that going to do? That doesn't, if you think about exercise, you think about lifting weights, you think about mm -hmm. yoga, you think about running, you know, running a marathon, how much intention it takes to get to that finish line. It's not, I'm just going to set out and do this. It's a daily practice. You daily exercise to the point that your body conditions that you can run that 26 miles. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with mindfulness. It's a daily practice. It's something that you learn and attune to growing your attention. So you have to initiate some sort of practice. So think about, you know, we brush our teeth every day. And over time, we have just, you know, hopefully fantastic dental <laughs> health, you know. We have, we take care of our teeth. They, they last longer. They're stronger. We get, you know, we have less cavities. We just sort of, if we didn't brush our teeth, we would really sort of mm -hmm. not have that same level of health. <clears throat> There's, it, takes a, it takes time and intention to really understand what that daily practice is and how you can do it. It can be really simple, but a lot of, t it does take that practice. You know, there's studies and research out there that if you practice mindfulness, and I'll give you some, you know, ideas of what that is, some resources. I mean, there's endless books and teachers. Um, if you practice 20 minutes a day for eight weeks, brain scans are different. In what way? It changes the way that your central nervous system operates. It changes the way your brain operates and focuses. It changes sort of your internal system. It has a positive impact. So if you think about regulating stress to your mm -hmm. question, you know, how do we regulate the central nervous system? How do I pay attention to my thoughts. How do I change the neurons in my brain? You know, it, I think it really can start with that mindfulness practice. You know, daily incorporation of some sort of exercise. We talk about it all the time. You know, people are willing to exercise their bodies. They yeah. have, you know, physical health. They're willing to, you know, pay attention to what they eat. We've, we've collectively sort of brought that into our awareness. Um, we haven't sort of initiated this brain exercise to support mental health. You know, what do you do daily to get in tune with that internal system? 
And I really believe mindfulness practice, practice, I say that word over mm-hmm. and over, but it really is a practice, um, really supports all of those things. It supports that internal exploration, if you will. Yeah. So you just kind of answered a question that popped up as you were talking. And, and the question I had was, because I, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't think I, I don't practice mindfulness. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, not the way that you described it. I am not sitting down intentionally practicing being aware of what I'm thinking and, and all of that. But my question was, for the, for the person that's doing this, is it only, is the benefit only during the practice? But you just alluded to the fact that your brain scans down the road indicate that there's been a transformation in your brain and your central nervous system. So it's the, the benefit is not just during the 20 minutes that you're practicing mindfulness. Yeah, I would say okay. most of the attention is for the other aspect of our yeah. life. It's really sort of living and embodying this. So it's something that you, I mean, you train over time to do this and you you just pay attention more, you yeah. know, so you can have a daily practice. So like if you're a runner, you can practice mindfulness while you run, you know, oh. focusing your attention on your feet while you're running. Taking that one aspect, I'm going to pay attention to the mm-hmm. right and left cadence of my feet as I'm running. And I'm just going to keep mm-hmm. my attention on that while I'm running. And it's training your attention in that moment. You're exercising your ability to move your attention where you want it to move, to pay attention to your cadence. You could pay attention to nature. You could set the intention that while I'm on my run, I'm going to focus my attention on looking at nature around mm-hmm. me. If my thoughts go to work, if my thoughts go to home life or what I'm doing next, I'm just going to notice that. I'm going to bring it right, right back to looking at the trees, noticing how beautiful they are, looking mm-hmm. at the birds. While I run, I'm, I'm going to practice mindfulness and I'm going to keep moving my attention back to that. Okay, I lied. Maybe I do do it. <laughs> Can you? See, you didn't even know you practiced. <laughs> well, one of the things I do actually when I run, uh, there are times where for a duration of 10 miles, I will count my steps. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three. I, would, I will count to eight repeatedly for 10 miles um, as a way to try to maintain cadence. But then maybe that's also, also a form of... The mind. Because it's hard to think about stuff when I'm counting. <laughs> so how about... So, I think I want to, I mean, I think you just gave a prime example. You are practicing yeah. the moment. Do you see how you're focusing your attention? Yeah. And if your thoughts while you were running your cadence went up to work or they went to what you and your wife are doing after, yeah. or what you'd go, oh, wait, I'm, I got to get back to counting. And, and that's the act of, huh. of mindfulness or meditation yeah. in general. You know, people often stop meditation and they won't practice or they'll say mindfulness isn't for me because they say, I get caught up in my thoughts. Sure. I don't know how to turn my brain off. Well, we all have sort of that, that happen. And the real practice is noticing when you go back to your thoughts and moving your attention gently back to wherever it is, focusing on your feet, following your breath. And over time, you grow the capacity to move your attention where you want it to be. It's not just on autopilot, okay. running all over the place. So if I'm in a stressful meeting, you know, over time, I'm not saying this is exactly what happens to everybody, but I've my personal experience that is that practicing over time I can be in a really intense situation feel that central nervous system sort of activate and 
I've noticed that at some point my I just kicks in my awareness to follow my breath. Hmm. And it sort of just naturally kind of regulates. I get back into my body, kind of like my son. I love that he uses the word. He said, be where my feet are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Blake, Blake's That's learned a lot. <laughs> All our kids have learned a lot from you. So, <laughs> oh, I don't know, you guys. It's no, hard to explain. But can, can I? Yeah, yeah, but I wanted to say you have also used this term with me, too. It's, it's like, you know, Pete, you said this a little bit, but people do their physical workouts and they do all this stuff. But it's that mental workout, right? You you talked to me about just like you're training your body, you have to train your mind. And there, you know, there are so many athletes now. There are so many people that spend a lot of money for people to, to work and strengthen and train their mind just on getting yourself. Because when you're in the so-called present moment or you're in that moment that's where your being is and that's where that's where things that's where life's going to happen and and some of you are um talking to athletes and talking to you've got me in contact with sports psychologists and all that other stuff but when you're in the present moment that's what they call the zone right when you're in when you're actually in the present moment whatever you're doing everyone says remember that you get in the zone yeah that's the zone that's what. That's when you're at your best. That's when you are. So when you can get you can get that part into your body and you're there. That's when you're in the zone, and that's what I I love about that. Could you just maybe for for Kevin and I just like give us and maybe for the listeners through or listening, just give us you talk us through an example and we'll we'll do it here. Okay. I mean. It doesn't have just, to be long, but yeah, just 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 talk us through it, and we'll 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 try to do this real quick. Well, as I'm talking, I mean just. Why don't you pay attention to your breath? Just don't change it, but just pay attention to the sensation of the air going through your nose. Like, what does it feel like? Kind of notice that kind of gentle, tingling, sort of be warmth, coolness. Just kind of rest your attention on it just while you're sitting there. And you'll often notice when you just pay attention to your breath, kind of rest it there, you will go back up in your thoughts. All of us do that. It will happen. And when you notice that, just gently move it back to your your breath. Just follow it through your nose. Rest there. You pay attention to your belly going out. The air going through your nose. entire practice of mindfulness is noticing when it drifts your attention. You don't judge that. Just move it back. Move it back to your breath. And that practice, really over time, you can do that for a minute. You can do it for 10 seconds. Um, any amount of time that you can just really pay attention to something like Heidi's coffee, um, paying attention to your breath, like you guys just did, um, paying attention to your back, you know, as it rests on your chair, if you're in a work meeting, um, <clears throat> it's really an active practice that you can do anywhere in your life. And you can also be intentional about setting a meditation that really teaches you in depth of sort of what I just had you experience right there. And I would say, and I remember you a long time ago, <laughs> and I gotta I give you credit for this, but a long time ago, you 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 were trying to get me into this. 
and I would get so frustrated because my thoughts were constantly spinning all over and I, and then I'd, and you'd be like, get back, just get, just don't judge it. Just bring it back. It take it, your word practice, it does take practice. It's not easy. Yeah. That was to just do. for a minute. That was hard yeah, for me. Cause your, your thoughts go right. Mm-hmm. And then you got to bring them back, mm-hmm. but it's that mental workout that you do. And I've been practicing it now for over probably over five years. I still struggle with it, but you know, that's where, you know, Kevin and I joke, and I'm going to give you a little shout out here. It's get out of your head, get into your heart, right? Get into your body and and, and feel it. So, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love, I mean, I think for me, the, the correlation is like you said, Becky, <laughs> I'm so intentional about grabbing my running shoes and going for a run. This is what I'm doing. Why am I not doing that with this? Like, that's the question I'm having right now is why why am I not doing this? I'm so intentional about the physical aspect of what I do. Um, and clearly there's research that suggests there's benefits to this. Why am I not doing it? So that's the question I'm going to be grappling with and, <laughs> and uh, working on. Hey, I think we all grapple yeah. with that. I think I, I grappled with the same thing. I'm We're all busy, you know, so we tell ourselves this thing. Well, I don't, I don't have time. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't that the central yeah, thing of what for we sure. all do? And I had a mindfulness teacher because it, I mean, I've been years of experience. You can still learn. I still take lots of, you know, mindfulness classes. I love reading books. I dig back into it. It's a practice. This is not something that you just become an expert and you we're all in the same walk together, you know? So the struggles that you're talking about, the struggles with, you know, am I doing it right? Because Mm -hmm. I keep going into my thoughts and then me learning over time. Oh, that's the actual practice. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. It's that little exercise of just moving your attention where you want it to. And I think you're right. We say we don't have time, but the self exploration, I mean, that's what is on the forefront for me. What I've learned over time is we have this whole, whole internal world and this whole relationship with ourselves that is the most profound in this lifetime to explore. And we often take very little time to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, we will explore other relationships with other people. We will explore career growth and what am I doing? What am I achieving? External things like technology and social media. I mean, we will invest massive amounts of time into all of these external things you know, that performance-based things Mm -hmm. often that give us some sort of visible, you know, result in our lives. And the biggest, if we're really real, I mean, I think at the the end of your life, you look back and say, well, what would matter most is really just being myself, understanding who I am, sort of healing some things from the past, you know, finding out why I'm stuck. You know, we all, Mm -hmm. we all get stuck. We all, we get stuck in our patterns. We get stuck in relationships. We get stuck in work things we get stuck in being hard on ourselves i mean the 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 list is endless but we have endless capacity just explore be curious about those things mindfulness practice just allows you to do that you know you just get in tune with yourself Mm -hmm. you're just looking inward i mean you're kind of i guess growing the capacity to be present with yourself being present with what's going on in that moment and isn't that where life is right Mm -hmm. we live (laughs) life i mean right now we're having this experience this is it. This is where we're living right now together, having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can think about how lost you can get into futuristic planning or things that don't exist. We need to plan. Yeah. But this mindfulness practice gets us back into the present moment, like experiencing something even simple. 
I'm going to ask maybe an ignorant question, but mindfulness, like if one is practicing mindfulness and they're really good at it, <laughs> um, they're successful with it. That's not, you're not suggesting that um, mindfulness is going to get somebody out of a unhealthy situation, right? I mean, you still need to do practical um, things in your life. Um, what am I trying to say? I'm not articulating this well. Um, you have an unhealthy job. You have a horrible job. You hate it. Mindfulness is not going to get you to love your job, right? I think that's a great question. Like, I think, yeah, I think I, I know exactly where you're going with that. Cause we'll often say, well, is this going to like remove all the stress from my life? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is this going to like change my life and I'm going to be super Zen and not, you know, <laughs> yeah. really, I'm going to float through right. life. And, <laughs> um, no, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess the short answer, you know, is that, it really helps us grow the capacity to interact with life. Yeah. To really be present in it and have that to understand what we need, to understand how to get through that struggle, to be more aware of and attuned to what I'm feeling, thinking, and experiencing, right? Because when I'm attuned to those things, I can really make decisions for myself. If I'm not attuned to what I'm feeling, if my, you know, if I'm really sort of disassociating, we can use that word because we do that everyone does that, you mm -hmm. know, where you're kind of escaping yourself, numbing yourself out, avoiding feeling, you know, not, not really being present with even what, you know, pain in your body. You know, Marissa talked about that, like yeah. really having a relationship with your body and feeling what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. um, we can spend decades sort of escaping that, you know, ignoring the big questions. You know, I, f I feel like everyone has this internal, this intuition that you can kind of tap into of what I need next. You're the expert of that. You know, there, there's no therapist you're going to go to that's going to, they don't tell you what to do. You're the expert of your life. You know, your spouse isn't, your Sorry, honey. No, it's I just this I is know a, this is what no, this is exactly <laughs> what people need to hear because I is. think people think everybody wants to go, but it's really you are the <laughs> one. It is. I mean, even our kids, we've taught our kids that, but I learned that through my own journey and my mindfulness practice is that I had to rely on myself. So it wasn't gonna be about like if I heal all these relationships, if my you know, family of origin shows up in this great way and they heal themselves and, and damage done in the past or or you know that somehow everything was going to magically be great for me. So that kind of serves that question that yeah. you were asking is no, but it gets me attuned to myself and who I am and really growing this ability to, to really know what my emotions are telling me, changing thought, just being curious about thought patterns. What is my body telling me? Do I need rest? It's having a relationship with yourself and making decisions and kind of living out life in a way that, unfolds and grows and heals. I guess that's what I've experienced. I have experienced my own internal, you know, understanding of what I need. That grew with mindfulness practice. I became more aware of what I needed in life. I became more aware of job changes. I became more aware of boundaries and relationships. I became aware of what my body needed as far as nutrition, food, healing, physical healing. Um, I just, I just became more aware. Yeah, that's, that's what good. it grows, your capacity to understand yourself. That's a great explanation. It is, because I yeah. think so much of what we want to do is we want to look out, outward, but yeah. really, if you can really get to that, I mean, it's 
it is powerful. So we're I want to we're going to get to a little bit more about that burnout because you have a I think you have a personal story about that. And when it comes to the the question that Kevin just asked about this whole mindfulness piece, right? Does it make you la 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 la? But what it does is it gets you in tune, and then you got to make decisions, right? And you did make a decision. But let's go to. Um, I guess you did talk about the whole non-judgment, self-compassion piece, or do you have anything more you'd want to talk about that piece of it? Because we are critical, and, and, and what I stated here in the very beginning, that's one of the things I've learned about myself, is I'm very hard on myself. I'm very critical of myself. If something doesn't go well or something, whatever, I can be very critical, hard on myself. So and you talk a lot about in your practice the whole non-judgment self-compassion piece. So boy, that's a that's a really profound part of mindfulness practice. And again, it's a practice. So it's something that I, I mean I would encourage exploration with. I mean, there's one of my favorite books, boy, Kristen Neff. She is mm-hmm. I brought it. You guys see, I brought one. She's mm-hmm. just amazing. I have how many, like 65 <laughs> yeah. post-it notes in there. Um, because I went on my own journey of self-compassion and I had the same, you know, a lot of people will will be resistant to exploring what it is because it it's a practice often like mindfulness. It's something they have to learn, be attuned to, and then practice it, activate it. It's a practice. It's not just this Zen sort of, okay, I'm going to just be super compassionate to myself today and for, for the rest of my days. It's an active participation in the relationship with yourself. How do you treat yourself? And she kind of lays out an amazing framework for understanding that. Because I, I, like you, Jason, I mean, I grew up just oof, pretty rough situation to some aspect. And I learned to, you know, everyone has their coping. I mean, this is the fascinating thing about life is you grow up with your life circumstances. You cope with it to survive. And then at some point you can look at yourself and go, well, that, that helped me survive. But now I'm stuck because of that. <laughs> you know, now it doesn't serve me anymore because I'm now in a different place in life. And so being really hard on myself and drive myself to the way I did to survive the experiences I had in my early life. Wow. I don't, that doesn't serve me anymore. I'm in a different place and I really need to understand how critical I am of myself and what that does to me over time when every time there's an issue that comes up and it goes wrong, I sort of beat myself up or I have this really critical judgmental response internally. Um, That's part of the mindfulness practice. Well, what does that do? How do I feel? How does that, you know, and, and what I learned I had that resistant when somebody said, you know, here, practice self-compassion. I went, okay, I'll take all other aspects of (laughs) mindfulness, but forget that one, (laughs) you know, because I'm rigid on myself and that served me. Look how far I've come in life. You know, this is, this is just, I'm going to keep this one held tight. (laughs) And that was the, that was the most profound change. I just learned so much about myself and my life has so much more ease to it. Um, And it, it's a different journey for everybody and everybody needs something different. But that part of the mindfulness practice was really, really, really profound for me. Um, and non-judgment, you know, they're kind of hand in hand, but when you pay attention on purpose in the present moment, it's interesting because sometimes you go, wow, I didn't know how judgmental of myself I was. 
you know, I'm at work and I, every time I say or do something, I am really coming down hard on myself, but I didn't really notice that. I've been doing that for 30, you know, sometimes people say for 30 years or 40, 50 years. And then you, you sort of start to have this different relationship with yourself and you go, I, I, maybe I will take that part. I'm going to start practicing just being a little less judgmental. I'm going to, then I'm going to just be curious about how I feel when I practice that. What do I notice? And it's different for everybody. For me, I just noticed peace, ease. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt more comfortable in my own skin. I felt supported. And, and you can start to recognize that you guys are educators. You know, think about if you were that critical to a child. Yeah. You know, I often mirror that. You know, you can think about that when you're thinking about your own, what is my relationship with myself? And people will hold these rigid expectations of self and they'll be like really hard on themselves. And, and often you just see people melt when you say, well... Wow, would you, what do you think about treating a child that way or rejecting a child if they're sad? You know, as people reject themselves if they have certain emotions. If I'm angry, I'm a horrible person. Or if I have, if I feel sadness, I'm, I'm weak, I'm not, you know, and they have all these sort of internal dialogues. But when you think about what I, wow, if I was talking to a child that way, I put them in the corner, or I told them I don't want them because they're sad, which is what we do to ourselves sometimes. We'll go, I don't, want to be with you because you're sad. So I'm going to get real busy Mm. and ignore you. (laughs) I'm going to sort of put you, I'm going to push you away. I'm going to pick up, I'm going to pick up the phone to ignore you. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want you when you're sad is really what Mm. you're saying to yourself. Instead of just going, huh, wonder what that's about. Let me be with you for a little bit. You know, can we do that a little more? That's the mindfulness practice. Just be with your emotions. Notice it with curiosity. You do it with friends and family. You do it with your children. You know, you wouldn't reject your child if they're sad. You just say, hey, let me be with you for a little bit. Let's talk about it. Hmm. Why do you think that's there? But we don't know how to do that with ourselves. And it's just this profound change when you can learn to have a relationship with yourself and sort of interact in that way. It's good stuff. (laughs) I'm learning here again, pal. I know. It's, <laughs> uh, add it to the to-do list. <laughs> All um, right. You want to go ahead? Yeah, and let's the next jump one into um, you know talking about self-compassion. What does taking care of yourself look like? And not not just about emotions and stuff like that, but just you've already alluded to you know the physical aspects of your life and nutrition and and um, you know all of it. So just in general, what does taking care of yourself look like? To you? I mean, over time, it's evolved into a lot of different things. Um, Really, I guess the biggest thing is just taking care of that internal self, you know, paying attention to how I'm treating myself, which I learned through this practice. Um, So paying attention to what I eat, you know, it's sort of not being rigid in anything, right? It's just having like healthy foods and nourishing my body, Um, finding exercise, but not in this rigid way that I had this mm-hmm. relationship with myself in the past. You know, in the past it was, I'm going to run a marathon and that's not a, that's a great thing. I, I enjoyed that experience, but boy, was I rigid and high expectations and mm-hmm. no compassion. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at that point in my life, I was like, okay, you just be, you know, go as hard as you can. I would run through injuries and I would not listen to my body and I, Oh, you remember that cycle, oh, Jason? I like do. I was. <laughs> yeah, you. Yep, I do. 
And so, I mean, for me personally, it's become this attunement to my body. That's why Marissa's, you know, podcast Mm -hmm. really resonated with me because this relationship with my body, like what am I feeling? What am I experiencing? What am I needing? And I'm always going to be there for that. And it's going to change over time, but I'm going to listen. So I'm going to hear what I need. And sometimes I need yoga. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I need this gentle release and I need to move stored trauma in my body or I need to, you know, feel the stretch and just be connected with that mind, body, breath work. You know, sometimes that's what my body is calling for. And to be real, sometimes my body is calling for like a, you know, hard workout with heavy weights. Like if I'm feeling like I need to release energy and I'm feeling this pent up, you know, energy, I need a heart, you know, yoga is not going to do it for me, mm-hmm. but I have learned to just listen to my body and be attuned and give myself what I need. So that is sort of the core of how I take care of myself. If I need rest, I give myself rest. If I need people, I give myself people. If I need to say no to a social event, I've learned to sort of take care of myself in that way to be more responsive and attuned to, because in the past I had the capacity to be responsive and attuned to everyone else and everything around me. And I guess how I take care of myself now is just listening, you know, and Mm -hmm. giving myself a day off. I love the parallel and the connection between the mindfulness and the self-compassion and being able to transfer that to, like you said, not being rigid, Um, you know, being able to say, well, today my body needs this. Um, I, I think that's because I agree with you. I was, I mean, I've gotten better with that over the years. I mm-hmm. used to be extremely rigid, um, with, uh, the physical activities. And, and if I said I was running 13 miles, I was running 13 miles. I don't care if my leg was broken. <laughs> I'm running 13 miles because I said I was going to run 13 miles. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Um, and so I was, I just like that connection. Or it's too, you know, we've had this conversation too, or you're doing a better job of, listening mm-hmm. to what your body needs and you know i know several times maybe it's during the week where i need that extra sleep mm-hmm. i'm not going to get up and work out i'm going to maybe do something else but it's just listening and i think that's so important one of the the key pieces too and, and becky you know this because Kristen and healthwise and why we're partnering with healthwise is really this whole mental health piece right and making sure that mental health is something that we talk about and it, it there, we just want it to be what it is. It's part of our being. And, um, but what is, what does mental health mean to you? What are some of the trends you're seeing? And what are some of the things that, I mean, you've talked a lot about maybe this, but maybe some other things that you'd want to add to this. That's a great, a really good question. I think, I think it's a collective question that's being asked right now. I mean, I think a lot of people are, you know, curious about mental health and especially with what we've been through the last three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just surge of symptoms and, you know, a response to need and, you know, within the schools, within workplace settings. I mean, it's just a curious question. But for me personally, I think, you know, mental health is sort of what we've talked about. It's it's a aspect that we all have you know we all have our cognitive thoughts we all have emotions we all have central nervous system we all have behavioral responses to how we feel and what we think that's collectively what mental health is and I think that we've ignored sort of the care of it 
you know, we've thought, well, I'll just go to a therapist or I'll, you know, if I have problems with my mental health, instead of sort of this proactive approach is this is just something about our human experience that we all need to take care of. You know, this is, this is a part of how we grow, heal, change. And we, we all have the capacity to do that. Um, you know, your mental health is, is so much more than just, you know, talk therapy. It's so much more than, um, you know, the struggles that we face. It is collectively, you know, when you think about just alone, your microbiome, mm. you know, our mental health is really, really rooted in what we put into our bodies mm -hmm. often. You know, you're, you have, we have neurons in our gut, serotonin, dopamine. I mean, we, we, we get all these neurochemicals in our gut. And so we often don't talk about mental health with food, mm. which is bizarre to me. I mean, it, it's like, well, if, if our gut is our second brain, which it is, and it impacts how we feel, it impacts depression, anxiety, it impacts all of these different ailments in, in your mood and your behavior, alternatively, it impacts how you behave. So, wow, I mean, that's where I dug in. When I learned that, I'm like, give me all the research. <laughs> I, you know how I get Oh, yeah, you were. <laughs> I really dug in and read and investigated my own practices with, with my gut health and just with what I was eating and how I was treating my body because I thought, wow, if I could feel better with what I put into my body, why not? You know, mm -hmm. why not explore that as a tool? Um, you know, there's nutritional deficiencies. You go in the you know, National Institute of Health, you will find massive amounts of research on how if you have a vitamin D deficiency, how it can impact you know, depressive, de depression and your response to mood and all of these different, you know, fatigue, all these different things. Again, I'm not a health expert in that area, but I'm a human that has read a lot of research about this and applied it to myself and found great results. So that's just my experience of saying, okay, I better figure out if I have any, you know, deficiencies as part of this program, you know, because think about someone, if, if that is sort of, you know, if there's some biochemical response within your body that is causing these symptoms and you only look at it from a talk therapy lens, well, that's not going to serve right. me if I would have just, you know, gone in. So I, I think collectively we just need to understand that our whole body, mind, spirit works as one. Mm -hmm. And there are endless, there's endless potential to explore and be curious about different things that impact how we feel, what we think you know, how our body feels, what we can do to sort of change um, or impact movement, if you will, like just something different. Um, I've got a follow-up question that kind of ties into what you are just talking about. I know you personally have this um, belief that everyone has the innate ability to grow and heal, everyone. Talk to me about that and how that ties in to what you were just talking about, about all of that mental health. Um, I think it's the most rewarding part about what I do and just what I live as myself and what I've learned about myself, my own journey is, um, you know, often we get labeled with different things and we think, or we get stuck in what has happened in our life experiences because they can be profound, you know, and you think, okay, this happened to me or I had this type of family growing up or I had, 
this relationship or this moment in time that really had an impact. Um, and, you know, we can get stuck and think how, you know, this is my life now. And what I've discovered, because I've been in that place, is that oh, there's just endless things to try and explore. And we have this internal knowledge of what we need. You know, we, we know what we need next. Often you can, you can, you know, just take a look at what you're ignoring, you know, because yeah. you'll ignore this constant thing. It'll say, move your body more. I feel like I need to move my body more. And you'll just ignore it. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Just go out and take a walk, you know, listen. Or it'll say, gosh, I don't, I don't really think I'm on to it. I think, I think my health I think I need to explore something with this relationship, or I think I need to, there's homeopathy, there's somatic healing, there's Reiki, there's um, endless possibilities to understand who you are and what you need next. But you are the expert in that. That's why this mindful, mindfulness practice is so profound because it helps you identify what you need next. It quiets you to explore what that is. And so there is no framework. I think one of your guests, I can't remember, um, one of the podcasts I was listening to, he said, I can't give you guys a framework. I'm not mm -hmm. giving you a framework. <laughs> right. Because my life journey has led me where I am. And Marissa said the same thing. And I will completely say the same thing. The books I've read, the life experience, the healers I've gone to, they're all my own. And they were there at that moment for the right reason that led me to the next thing I needed. So changing my, the way I eat was a part of that moment in my time, but your moment's different. And what you need right now, what you need to be aware of for your own healing is yours. No one else can give you that. So that's why, I'm, I mean, when we, we talk about teaching our kids at home, mm -hmm. You and I have really, as we've learned our mindfulness practice, it's really freed us up as parents. Because, you know, as parents, you think, okay, I, I got to tell my kids. I got to help. I got to tell them which way to go in life <laughs> and how it's going to be done. And, boy, it's amazing when you just instead teach them to understand who they are and explore that and really trust that, make decisions that are best for them. Because that unfolds everything. Yeah. <laughs> I would... As I say one thing, everybody, well, I say everybody, but there's a lot of people that want that magic pill, mm -hmm. that quick fix. I just, I want to take this and I want it to, but it's a journey. It's a gal dang journey going inside every day, day after day, trying to, in, in the spirit, the mind body connection, like you said, it's there. It's hard work. I'm not saying it's easy. It's a practice. But I think if people can start to do that and, and unravel, oh, man, there's, um, like Marissa said, it's, it's magical. Mm -hmm. the, the phrase that keeps popping into my head as you're talking as kind of the opposite of everything you're talking about is somebody that's just going through the motions in life. Is that, I mean, to me, that's the opposite of what you're saying you should be doing. People that are just, um, just getting up, I'm going to work, I'm doing the same thing, I'm having the same problems, I'm not really addressing them, I'm not really thinking about them, I'm going to go to bed, I'm going to get up tomorrow, I'm going to do the same thing, and I'm going to... Mm -hmm. So there's this intentional, on purpose, awareness are the, are the words that I'm pulling out of this that, that really need to be put into, again practice. 
Well, I think you just dug into one of the, I mean, we're, we kind of go on autopilot that we talked about that earlier. And I think you, you just explained what our human experience is collectively sometimes is that we, we draw to what's familiar. I mean, it's sort of how our brain, our brain was wired to help us survive, right? It's a tool. So thoughts are just things. We have, we have grooved pathways in our brain that will, will repeat on cycle, but they're just thoughts and we can groove new ones. And so you're talking, if we even started today by understanding that our human experience will collectively draw us to what's familiar. You know, you see people collectively do that Mm -hmm. in groups. You know, you'll see yourself do that in your patterns. You'll see it, you know, you draw to similar relationships. You draw to similar eating patterns. You draw to similar, our brain and our body thinks it's making us safe by drawing to what's familiar. So if you, if you even just start to understand that that's how your system operates, you know, if my system operates, I'm just trying to what's familiar, maybe Mm -hmm. not what serves me. Hmm. So if I just wake up tomorrow and sort of recognize that I do that every day, because, you know, people, one of the things we say, you know, as we'll say, I'm too busy, you know, that's collectively a way it's familiar to be really be busy we familiarize like our schedules and we, we kind of get familiar with not being accountable to what we're doing with our time because it becomes the norm, Mm -hmm. you know, like how much we pick up our phone daily is a repetitive pattern. How much we put our kids in sports or sign up for activities becomes a pattern. How we, the food we eat becomes familiar this is just how life is, you know? So this is, I'm going to wake up and do life because (laughs) even if something is causing extreme suffering, Mm -hmm. you will draw to it. There's comfort in the pattern. Mm -hmm. So it's, you're trying to it, not because it, you know, people say, well, I'm miserable and then resistant to want to change something. That's that internal pattern that we all can have. You know what? You could be miserable and suffering and staying in the same job, the same relationships, the same routine, the same resistance to doing exercise or mindfulness or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And we all do that. I do that. Everybody does that. And it's so getting out of just sparking some sort of thing that's unfamiliar. If you can get comfortable with discomfort, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Because the suffering, you know, familiarity can be suffering. And if you can just get uncomfortable with doing something different tomorrow. So I sit with my feelings for a little bit. So I walk out in nature, you know, and put my feet in the grass for a while. Um, I let go of something that I've had for 20 years that no longer serves me. I let go of a relationship or a job or a small part of my routine. Then it's not it's not familiar. <laughs> it boils to what a lot of what we'll talk about is the uncomfortable piece of, you know, that discipline part, right? Yeah. Well, it's not yeah. only the it's not only the physical part of it, but there's the emotional, there's the mental, there's the spiritual. So that that whole component of discomfort and continually dealing with that uh, inward. I just. I, I, again, I'm sitting here and I, I, know. I spend every day with you, honey. And uh, I'm learning, I, but that's the amazing thing. It's just, I get caught up in this and there's so much. And to Kevin, what you said earlier, it's just like, 
we jot these things down and we continue. I mean, it's, yeah, the, it's, there's so much. Um, do you want to you go ahead and ask about the... Just yeah, we can do that. Because social media goes into kind of that yep, addiction. and For sure. And you, you even mentioned the, the habit of picking up your phone. Um, we talk about this on, on most, most of our episodes um, just because it kind of plays into that mental health piece. But social media, are you staying up to date? What platforms are you on? Um, we can talk about, you know, the idea of addiction to, to smartphones and, and, you know, obviously Jason and I in the profession that we're in. Um, we see it every day, um, and and just how it's impacting everyone around us, and and uh, what's your relationship to all of that? That's, I mean, that's been a journey that's changed over time. And I mean, it used to be on social media, and a few years ago, I took, I was going to take a week long break because it was, str- you know, I felt stressed. I yeah. felt like it was causing some sort of internal discomfort for various reasons expectations. You know, I felt like I was trying to keep up with something collectively that I wasn't doing, you know, I wasn't giving enough to my life. I should be doing all these things. And I mean, it got, it got sort of out of hand for me with living externally. You know, I was really too much invested in it. And I think we can all get to that place. And so I said, I'm going to take a quick break, you know, I kind of followed. I think I need a break. I did the break and then I never went back. (laughs) (laughs) So I've dabbled into like looking at, you know, Jason's TikToks. Like I will get into what you guys are posting and stuff. And I, I, I think there's so much value to it and information seeking because I've used that sort of different platforms and learning about nutrition or, you know, mental health you know, different practices that I've really followed and gotten a lot out of for me personally. But I don't know, right now I'm just going to be real. I'm not, I'm not on it and it feels great. That's great. um, (laughs) Sometimes I wish I wasn't on it. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin got me back on it, honey. So that's that's the reason why I'm up at night and doing stressing out about, you know, (laughs) I'm just kidding. How about with your with your job, with your profession? Um, you, you mentioned that you work with some some students, some younger people. Is is that a theme? I mean, do you is that something that is part of conversations with younger people? I would say it's just more. I mean, when conversations about technology are my own. You know, we kind of see it all around us. It's not even a topic of like personal conversation. Yeah. You can go into any store, any grocery store when you're waiting in line. You can be anywhere and just, I think we all have this collective experience of what technology is in our lives right now. And if you can think about it in this way, it's become this tool. I mean, we cope with life for various reasons. What I've, what I've become aware of with myself is that it becomes this tool to disconnect. You know, if I, if I feel discomfort, I pick it up, you know, and I've noticed that about, I can pick it up and just even text somebody or get involved in some sort of app or look and explore, you know, search for things online um, that are all great, right? Like I'm looking up some different recipes or I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But what I've realized over time is it can be this, thing that keeps me from that moment of either boredom, discomfort, time with my family, 
um, to be with who I, you know, where I am present with people. But I think it's just, again, awareness. What is this phone? What's, how is it a priority in my life right now? Because if you take a look at how many hours you're on it and Mm. then say, well, okay, maybe I want to take one of those hours to practice meditation instead of, you know, hours on my phone. Yeah, I don't have time, but I've got time to spend (laughs) 14 hours hours a day on my phone. Yeah, no, it's a good point. It's a really good point. Uh, Yeah. All right, let's let's go into the the parenting part of it. And, and, um, you know, I just want to say, you know, we, and I've said it on the show, I've got three kids and um, I'm going to give you all the credit for all the success that they have. No. (laughs) Because they are really good kids. And uh, I look back at all my failures as a a dad, but uh, as, as as the, the mom there, I think you've, you've raised these kids and they're great. And they are just exploring life and doing things that they want to do and finding passions. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, for me, and, you know, Kevin's got to experience Blake and some of his things. And just it, what I would say, I guess what I want to say here is, A, number one, I'm grateful that um, you're the mom of three of our kids because you are amazing. But what parents are tired, parents are fried out. They're, they're trying, they're trying to do their best. And I'm not saying that I've been perfect or we've been perfect as parents. Gosh, no. I mean, we've, we always joke that just let us know when you start going to therapy, we'll start paying, (laughs) we'll start paying the bills. But, um, but what advice, what advice would you give to, to parents right now, just about parenting in general? I mean, we've got two kids now in college and uh, a third one going to jump into that realm, but you know, what, what advice would you give to parents out there that are, they're tired, they're stressed out, they're just looking for maybe some tips or advice? Well, first, thank you for those <laughs> comments. That was so nice. That was lovely. And But you know that it was this collective, I mean, it was you and I together, right? Is we figured out a balance, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing is we figured out how to value our strengths and figure out how we wanted to be as parents and we were a great team. We are a great team, I think. And that, that's been by far, I think my biggest support, you know, in parenting, you think about, I guess, you know, we have older children, we have two in college, one on the way. And I think not one on the way, like we're having uh, to college. This just in, this just in, we just dropped some news big time. I think that would have been news to you. No. We're <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> we have one on our way to college. Let's just reframe that one. Very. Um, so what I've recognized, I think that was really great for us, is that there wasn't, I mean, there was information available, right, as parents. But like Jason said, I mean, we... We sort of figure out a way to do it. We know we've messed up along the road and we've apologized to our kids and we're hoping for the best, you know, (laughs) we hope that they, our biggest hope for us as parents, and I think helped me, a a friend of mine grounded me in this because there's so many different parenting tools right now. And, And I think collectively people, how are they managing that, you know, of having all these different experts and all these different blogs and information. I mean, it's just intense. So 
first response is just to figure out who you are as a person. What do you value and how do you want to be as a parent? You know, what are your core values? Because I think that served us. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to be together. That was Mm -hmm. one of our core values. We just want to spend time with our family. We're really competitive people. We love sports. We loved activities, but we couldn't juggle those two things didn't pair well. They didn't match up. So we had to say, if we want to spend a lot of time, we want our kids outside playing, we want to go on vacations in the summer and we want to um, have dinners together. We just, we wanted to enjoy family life. Mm -hmm. So we had to cut out a lot of activities. Remember that? I mean, it was Mm -hmm. hard. Our kids wanted to do every sport. We had three kids and we wanted to do every sport. We love sports. Mm -hmm. We love activities, but we had to, set our priorities. So that was a big thing that you and I did. I mm-hmm. think that I will look back on. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. It was hard. It was really, really hard, but we did it. Um, I think people, you know, as parents, you know how hard we've been on ourselves mm-hmm. is it goes back to that compassion and, and non-judgment. I think parents could trust themselves more, you know, and, and hunger down to their values and just understand that this is a hard job parenting doesn't come there's no manual that's going to tell you how to how to best parent your kids that's that's a journey um so being you know being easier on yourself as a parent is something that we can all do um letting your kids be who they are and i think the most magical part of this that i learned is you you have to model that Hmm. so you can want your kids to be happy in life, right? But most of us as parents will go, well, I'm just going to sacrifice everything and I'm not, I'm going to lose myself. I'm not going to figure out who I am or take care of myself until they're 18 and they go off and then I'll get back on board with that. What I quickly realized in my own healing journey is they model what you teach them. So if you want your kids to have balance, you got to find balance in yourself. Sure. If you want your kids to have boundaries in life and like, make decisions about where to spend their time, you better figure out how to do that yourself. Hmm. If you want your kids to take care of themselves, you got to start doing it. If you want them to find themselves, we'll teach them how. Go find yourself. Go get involved in something and show them a passion. You know, so it's, I think that's a really fun part about parenting is that you can, you really have to dig into yourself if you really want your kids to be able to have those things. They're not going to learn how to do that if you're not exploring who you are. Yeah. Apple in the tree, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So much of that. That's great, great advice there. All right, let's move on. Um, We like to ask this question. Um, Role models and mentors, who in your life have um, been impacts for you and and, um, really motivated you, inspired you? Um, throughout maybe in you know different stages of your life perhaps but does anybody stand out well there's a I mean there's a lot it's endless right because it's been I've been a journey for a long time and a lot of people have helped me or taught me things about my life um one of them I mean just that started this whole journey of just healing was my homeopath you know mm-hmm. Scylla she's Scylla. fantastic yeah. Scylla Watcott is my She's my homeopath years ago. We had some things with our kids. We were looking for healing and I had no idea what this was, exploring, you know, this modality of healing. It was all new to me and it really was life-changing, impactful. It changed my paradigm of how to take care of the mind and the body and 
um, a whole new framework of just your immune system and healing. It was just powerful. And it kind of opened the door to everything that I know now. So she was really impactful in inserting this paradigm of not the quick fix. Mm. She set this sort of innate like root cause and holistic healing and how emotions and physical symptoms are one. You know, they're they're not separate entities. And she kind of, I guess that catapulted my own healing in mm-hmm. every way and in every part of my practice that I have as a therapist. Um, so she'd be a big one. I could endlessly list other people. Um, Jason, he's one of them. Like we he's we balance each other out we know you know that's the reality of the situation isn't it <laughs> it is Absolutely <laughs> and <is>. so <laughs> one of i think about you know the ups and downs and what we've learned and how we've grown i have my own healing journey you know in life but boy we have a story as a couple mm-hmm. and we have learned so much from each other i've learned so much from you just and how to ground and anchor in and stabilize life and just do what I need to do. I mean, you, you've taught me how to stay present in those things, make choices and work hard and just go after what I want and believe in myself. I mean, there's so many things we've learned from each other mm-hmm. just by witnessing. I witnessed those things in you and I wanted, you know, some of that. So, I mean, even this, it's... yeah. So definitely, you know, our marriage, um, friends, family, the people that I've surrounded myself with, I've learned from everyone, even my experience here health-wise, the people that I have come to connect with. Um, You know, you think about externally, like the books, the authors, the people, they've all had a role. I'll name some of them probably at some point. Yeah, we'll get to that. Don't don't go too far ahead here. <laughs> We're almost there. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna ground you here. <laughs> See what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a daily thing. <laughs> this is our. <laughs> uh, honey, I'm really glad that you think that I'm um, been that. So that's awesome. Hey, let's. I want to go back to. Um, we were talking about burnout, right? Mm-hmm. You've been in the corporate world, you've been in the education world, and now you you have your own mental health practice. But when you were in the the education world, right, burnout was really that was real, right? And and you've been in the educational system, you've felt it, you've seen it, but you had you had to come to a point in your journey where you made a decision to say, "I'm out." I'm going to take care of myself differently and I'm out. So what I want, what I want you to, cause we're Kevin and I, we do this job every day. We love it. There's so much that we get from it, but we're, but we're in a time and place where people are burnt out. These educators are fried. They're burnt. Uh, we're coming up on, you know, we're close to uh, the end of the school year here and it, it's going to be great. And then we're going to transition into some time, but what, what would you advise or what advice would you give to people just about um, stress management, burnout, maybe how a therapist could help somebody and your story about you just said, I'm making a change. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't the easiest of changes um, because I just, I love children, education, teachers, like, the whole thought of education. Um, I had a great experience 
in school. So I wanted to be a part of it. Um, so I mean, two things, this is a topic of conversation that we probably could have spent the whole, <laughs> the whole For entire sure. conversation on. Um, so probably just, you know, hit some of the highlights for me. Um, I'm not, you know, encouraging that this is the path for everyone because right. it's just not at, at the yep. time of my life, it was just the right move for me to make, you know, for, for my own reasons. Um, but you know, we ask that question a lot. A lot of people are asking that, well, what can teachers do? What can teachers do? What can educators do? What can principals do? What can we, what can we do to, to manage this? immense amount of stress and I could sit you know we could we talked about that when I was in education like mindfulness practice and stress reduction and all of these things you know healthy practices to manage stress I think we just have to really get real about the level of stress Marissa alluded to that well what about the system you know Mm. what about (laughs) how much we're putting on schools how we have to start not just in schools ask this question but as a community as collectively as a nation as a state as a community we have to ask how can we really change from within the educational system so that it isn't imploding on people's lives to the point that they leave because i think we're we're having these expectations on educators that they sort of do this missionary work (laughs) <laughs> you know, at a high level and give their entire life to this. And it's really not, it's not conducive to a, to a healthy culture, you know? So, so examples of that is, you know, you know, collectively through time, I worked in the corporate world. I worked in education. Now I'm working as a, you know, a therapist in my, my own office. But I remember one of the things that's said often to, to educators as well look at you guys, you get summers off, you know, and, and we'll be sitting at a dinner table. And I remember my heart would just sink because I knew that educator. I mean, I've been there and I've known and I, they don't know. I mean, when you guys talked about what is it, tossing knives on fire or whatever it was, (laughs) it's a, it's the most demanding thing I've ever done in my life. I worked in the corporate world and it was demanding. You know, we had high expectations and lots to sell and pressure. Um, but there is no pressure like the school system right now. Like when you are around the emotional needs of children, when you are around, you know, the, their life stories collectively and what they experience when they walk in the door and the challenges of learning and the challenges of being together um, and the challenges of what they've been through the last three years and the expectations that are put on educators to just manage an immense amount of emotional capacity, intellectual capacity, physical capacity. Um, you know, think about in the corporate world, if we had anyone in the corporate world have 30 plus humans following them around <laughs> all day. You know? <laughs> we and should that, try that. Because <laughs> yeah. I was there and I remember, yeah. you know, and so I'm not speaking and saying, okay, well, you know, but I do have this perspective. Like it took me a long time, even as a therapist to come here and just realize, you know, I was in such a crisis response mode physically and emotionally that I didn't realize that my central nervous system (laughs) was on high wire to put out fires. 
uh, because it's so intense and there's so many people and so much noise and so many expectations that my overall thing, I know you were looking for what can we do to support the mental health of teachers but I and educators is I think we need to really collectively support them from the outside to really, I mean, if you know anyone that's an educator, please, by all means, try to understand, you know, what's going on within the schools and try to have that compassion for that role and for what it serves in society. Um, and then how can we problem solve and get creative about change? Because it has to happen from all of us, you know, as parents, as community members, how can we lighten the load? How can we reframe it in some way yeah for sure it's a big it's a big uh big topic for sure let's move on i know you've got some uh resources sitting over there with you you mentioned you got some books but i'm just curious what are some of your um you know so listeners can hear favorite mental health resources books podcasts people apps um where can people maybe dive in a little deeper um, well, one of them, I guess, that I've used probably the most is the Insight Timer. It's an app. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's awesome. I mean, it just has so many free meditations and teachers and yoga teachers, and you could explore endlessly, really. Um, so I, I would highly recommend the Insight Timer. There's mindfulness, meditations, body scans, breath work. Um, that you can play around with. Um, as far as books, you know, again, that's sort of the framework of what my journey was unveiling it will be so different. I think look for some mindfulness books, like just go look and see what resonates with you and, and just start exploring is what I, what I would recommend. Um, but then I also have some of my favorites and it's like, well, if it works, you know, you got, if you have people who are leaders in corporate right now listening, like, one of the books that I first started out with was Search Inside Yourself hmm. by Chad Ming Tang, mm-hmm. Tan. He was an engineer at Google. And I think that's such a fun read for people because you're wondering what mindfulness was. Well, here's this engineer who went on his own journey, kind of like me, you know, you just kind of dig in and figure it out. And he ended up taking that to a whole nother level of just really creating a practice that corporate you know, Google just decided, hey, what are you doing? How, something's changed with you. What is, what is the <laughs> thing? And he said, okay, well, let me just create a program for our entire culture here at Google. And they all, you know, that's what the book is about. So I think it's a fun read for especially people who are in, you know, in leadership or in office to sort of get a taste of what it is. And he's kind of a funny guy. Um, for parents growing up mindful, it's one of my favorite books. So just as a parent, how can you initiate this practice? You've got lots of post-it notes. Yeah, in that do you one. see that? It's like a hundred. I think I have more. <laughs> I think I have a post-it note for every page. Oh, wow. <laughs> do you have one on like uh, your spouse? Like, yeah, where is that and, one? And I see, I, I think I see notes written on the on the um, post-it notes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, got, I really dug into yeah. that one. You can see. Okay. <laughs> um, I mentioned Kristen Neff you know, the mm-hmm. self-compassion, self-compassion. that's yeah. just a beautiful book. It's just, I love that one. Lots of notes on that one too. Yeah. We see, um, 
you know, if you guys want, I can give you these titles. You know, stuff. It's a place to start. Yeah, we'll put them yeah. in the show know. notes. Put them in there for yeah. sure. Put them in the show notes for mm-hmm. listeners. Yeah, because yeah. I think they are. They're great, and I've, you know, I've read those books, and we've had conversations about those books, and so yeah. John Cabot Zinn. Yeah. Any books by him, you know, he just he started out for any you know medical professionals. This is really kind of a fun. He really launched mindfulness practice. It was okay. mindfulness-based stress reduction. And he was working with patients who were in significant pain, who doctors were like, no pain medication is working. Hmm. Where they're kind of at the end of the road. They're suffering. What do we do? He initiated this mindfulness-based practice and did research on it. Um, and it was just profound. So lots to explore with him. He, you know, lots of books, resources. Um, yeah, those are the top. I would, I would say. Yeah, we'll make me. sure to get all those in the in yeah. the notes. Want to wrap us up with the yep, final let's one here, pal? Land this plane, huh? Um, last question. What is one single? You only get one. One single piece of advice that you would give listeners if they are looking to make a positive change in their life in some capacity. What is one thing that they could do tomorrow? Well, one thing they could do tomorrow is find just even one moment or two or three to quiet yourself, you know, just to initiate some sort of relationship or just being present with that moment. You know, not even taking on the whole act of what is mindfulness, but literally having a moment where you are paying attention to something in your life on purpose in the present moment. So go stand in the grass for five minutes, you know, and just, I don't care, set your timer. Like one act of quieting yourself and living your life in that moment and paying attention to whatever is in front of you, um, I guess, and then just be curious about that. It's, it's simple, straightforward. People can do it. And uh, I love it. And there's so much that you shared today. I'm just amazed. I'm, my head is, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions later on today. <laughs> so you thought, this, you thought this was just an hour and a half. You got to deal with it now the rest of the day. So, yeah. Becky, thanks so much. Um, this has been super enjoyable for me because obviously I didn't know the answers to all these questions. So um, it was great for me. Thank you for taking your time, taking time out of your schedule to sit down with us and, and share all this information. I know our listeners are going to benefit from it. I know I've benefited from it. Um, this is going to be spinning in my head for the rest of the, the weekend. And um, I'm going to be thinking about how I can implement some of these things in my own life for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I was gonna call you honey. I'll call you honey, right? I can call you honey. <laughs> honey, I, I will. T- I told Kevin before this. This was my. I was really stressed out about this interview. I mean, um, not that I can't sit and talk to you, but I mean, you, you know, we're having a conversation here, and this is this was a different. You have my spouse here, you know, asking questions. But I so much appreciate um, you coming in, you helping Kevin and I. You were very instrumental in knowing Kevin and I and our passion and what we wanted to do. And you helped us kind of get us this connection and it's kind of spurred on. And so uh, we want to thank you for that um, because three, four months ago when this whole thing started, um, you know, you, you, you helped us with that. So thank you. But if anybody, like if there's parents out there, if there's 
anybody listening that says, hey, I need to get in contact with Becky Paris because I want to I wanna know more about this or maybe I, I want to um, start some, you know, therapy or whatever, where can, where, where's the easiest place for them to get a hold of you? And we'll put it in the show notes as well, too. I guess probably on the website, you know, for HealthWise, there's a little bio and thing and there's a link to my email. So we'll link yeah, that in there. Okay. Definitely. Awesome. Thanks you guys so much. I'm impressed with everything you're doing. It's fun having this conversation. I mean, it was, I can't believe you gave me a mic. So <laughs> like, I think this is great. Like you wanted to have this conversation. Kevin, we had an opportunity here to really go take it in a whole different direction, but we didn't. We didn't spill the beans on who is Jason. Well, I appreciate <laughs> the professionalism there, guys. So whole nother one. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, um, we are out. Take care, everybody. We appreciate you hanging out with the two principals today as we continue on this journey towards a healthier and happier you. One step at a time, one conversation at a time. We would love for you to follow, subscribe, and rate, review our podcast wherever you listen. And we are so grateful for your support. As always, please follow us on all of our social media accounts at Two Principles. You can find us on the web at twoprinciples.com. Questions for Kevin or myself, email us at twoprinciplespodcast at gmail.com. As always, thanks for raising your frequency today and looking inward, wishing you peace and happiness on your journey. Remember, a better you makes for a better today. It starts with you. Until next time, get out of your head and into your heart.